0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Oscar Gough, a.k.a. ZMF Time Lord. The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket by Edgar Allan Poe. CHAPTER 25 We now found ourselves in the wide and desolate antarctic ocean in a latitude exceeding eighty-four degrees in a frail canoe and with no provision but the three turtles the long polar winter too could not be considered as far distant and it became necessary that we should deliberate well upon the course to be pursued there were six or seven islands in sight belonging to the same group and distant from each other about five or six leagues but upon neither of these had we any intention to venture in coming from the northward in the jane guy we had been gradually leaving behind us the severest regions of ice this however little it may be in accordance with the generally received notions respecting the antarctic was a fact experience would not permit us to deny to attempt therefore getting back would be folly especially at so late a period of the season only one course seemed to be left open for hope We resolved to steer boldly to the southward, where there was at least a probability of discovering other lands, and more than a probability of finding a still milder climate. So far we had found the Antarctic, like the Arctic Ocean, peculiarly free from violent storms or immoderately rough water. But our canoe was, at best, a frail structure, although large, and we set busily to work with a view of rendering her as safe as the limited means in our possession would admit the body of the boat was of no better material than bark the bark of a tree unknown the ribs were of a tough osier well adapted to the purpose for which it was used we had fifty feet in room from stern to stern from four to six in breadth and in depth throughout four feet and a half the boats thus differing vastly in shape from those of any other inhabitants of the southern ocean with whom civilized nations are acquainted we never did believe them the workmanship of the ignorant islanders who owned them and some days after this period discovered, by questioning our captive, that they were in fact made by the natives of a group to the southwest of the country where we found them, having fallen accidentally into the hands of our barbarians. What we could do for the security of our boat was very little indeed. Several wide rents were discovered near both ends, and these we contrived to patch up with pieces of woolen jacket. With the help of the superfluous paddles, of which there were a great many, We erected a kind of framework about the bow, so as to break the force of any seas which might threaten to fill us in that quarter. We also set up two paddle blades for masts, placing them opposite each other, one by each gunwale, thus saving the necessity of a yard. To these masts we attached a sail made of our shirts, doing this with some difficulty, as here we could get no assistance from our prisoner whatever, although he had been willing enough to labor in all the other operations. The sight of the linen seemed to affect him in a very singular manner. He could not be prevailed upon to touch it or to go near it, shuddering when we attempted to force him, and shrieking out, Tekeleli! Having completed our arrangements in regard to the security of the canoe, we now set sail to the south-southeast for the present, with the view of weathering the most southerly of the group in sight. This being done, we turned the bow full to the southward, the weather could by no means be considered disagreeable we had a prevailing and very gentle wind from the northward a smooth sea and continual daylight no ice whatever was to be seen nor did i ever see one particle of this after leaving the parallel of bennett's islet indeed the temperature of the water was here far too warm for its existence in any quantity having killed the largest of our tortoises and obtained from him not only food but a copious supply of water we continued on our course, without any incident of moment, for perhaps seven or eight days, during which period we must have proceeded a vast distance to the southward, as the wind blew constantly with us, and a very strong current set continually in the direction we were pursuing. march first. Many unusual phenomena now indicated that we were entering upon a region of novelty and wonder. A high range of light gray vapor appeared constantly in the southern horizon, flaring up occasionally in lofty streaks, now darting from east to west, now from west to east, and again presenting a level and uniform summit, in short, having all the wild variations of the Aurora Borealis. The average height of this vapor as apparent from our station was about 25 degrees. The temperature of the sea seemed to be increasing momentarily, and there was a very perceptible alteration in its color. March the 2nd. Today, by repeated questioning of our captive, we came to the knowledge of many particulars in regard to the island of the massacre, its inhabitants, and customs. But with these, how can I now detain the reader? I must say, however, that we learned there were eight islands in the group, that they were governed by a common king named Solomon or Solymaun, who resided in one of the smallest of the islands that the black skins forming the dress of the warriors came from an animal of huge size to be found only in a valley near the court of the king, that the inhabitants of the group fabricated no other boats than the flat-bottomed rafts, the four canoes being all of their kind in their possession, and, these having been obtained, by mere accident, from some large island in the southwest, that his own name was Nunu, that he had no knowledge of Bennett's islet. And that the appellation of the island he had left was "salal," the commencement of the words "Salimon" and "salal" was given with a prolonged hissing sound which we found it impossible to imitate, even after repeated endeavours, and which was precisely the same with the note of the black bittern we had eaten up on the summit of the hill. March the third. the heat of the water was now truly remarkable and in color was undergoing a rapid change, being no longer transparent, but of a milky consistency and hue. In our immediate vicinity it was usually smooth, never so rough as to endanger the canoe. But we were frequently surprised at perceiving, to our right and left, at different distances, sudden and extensive agitations of the surface. These, we at length noticed, were always preceded by wild flickerings in the region of the vapor to the southward. March the 4th. Today, with the view of widening our sail, the breeze from the northward dying away perceptibly, I took from my coat pocket a white handkerchief. Nunu was seated at my elbow, and the linen accidentally flaring in his face. He became violently affected with convulsions. These were succeeded by drowsiness and stupor, and low murmurings of, Tequilili! Tequilili! March the 5th. The wind had entirely ceased, but it was evident that we were still hurrying on to the southward, under the influence of a powerful current, and now, indeed, it would seem reasonable that we should experience some alarm at the turn of events we were taking, but we felt none. The countenance of Peters indicated nothing of this nature, although it wore at times an expression I could not fathom. The polar winter appeared to be coming on, but coming without its terrors. I felt a numbness of body and mind, a dreaminess of sensation, but this was all. March the sixth. The gray vapor had now arisen many more degrees above the horizon, and was gradually losing its grayness of tint. The heat of the water was extreme, even unpleasant to the touch, and its milky hue was more evident than ever. Today a violent agitation of the water occurred very close to the canoe. It was attended, as usual, with a wild flaring up of the vapor at its summit, and a momentary division at its base. A fine white powder, resembling ashes, but certainly not such, fell over the canoe and over a large surface of the water, as the flickering died away among the vapor and the commotion subsided in in the sea. Nunu now threw himself on his face in the bottom of the boat, and no persuasions could induce him to arise. March the 7th. This day we questioned Nunu concerning the motives of his countrymen in destroying our companions, but he appeared to be too utterly overcome by terror to afford us any rational reply. He still obstinately lay in the bottom of the boat, and, upon reiterating the questions as to the motive, made use only of idiotic gesticulations, such as raising with his forefinger the upper lip, and displaying the teeth which lay beneath it. These were black. We had never before seen the teeth of an inhabitant of Salal. March the 8th. Today there floated by us one of the white animals, whose appearance upon the beach at Salal had occasioned so wild a commotion among the savages. I would have picked it up, but there came over me a sudden listlessness, and I forbore. The heat of the water still increased, and the hand could no longer be endured within it. Peter spoke little and I knew not what to think of his apathy. Nunu breathed, and no more. March the ninth. The whole ashy material fell now continually around us, and in vast quantities. The range of vapor to the southward had arisen prodigiously in the horizon, and began to assume more distinctness of form. I can liken it to nothing but a limitless cataract rolling silently into the sea from some immense and far-distant rampart in the heaven. The gigantic curtain ranged along the whole extent of the southern horizon. It emitted no sound. March the 21st A sullen darkness now hovered above us, but from out of the milky depths of the ocean a luminous glare arose and stole up along the bulwarks of the boat. We were nearly overwhelmed by the white ashy shower which settled upon us and upon the canoe, but melted into the water as it fell. The summit of the cataract was utterly lost in the dimness and the distance, yet we were evidently approaching it with hideous velocity. At intervals there were visible in it wide, yawning, but momentary rents, and from out of these rents, within which was a chaos of flitting and indistinct images, there came rushing a mighty but soundless winds, "'tearing up the enkindled ocean in their course. "'March the 22nd. "'The darkness had materially increased, "'relieved only by the glare of the water "'thrown back from the white curtain before us. "'Many gigantic and pallidly white birds "'flew continuously now from beyond the veil, "'and their scream was the eternal Tequilili "'as they retreated from our vision. "'Hereupon, Nunu stirred in the bottom of the boat.' but upon touching him we found his spirit departed, and now we rushed into the embraces of the cataract, where a chasm threw itself open to receive us. But there arose in our pathway a shrouded human figure, very far larger in its proportions than any dweller among men, and the hue of the skin of the figure was of the perfect whiteness of the snow. End of chapter Twenty Five.